Hype Beast and Hype Radio. I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. If you want to talk about people who have helped shape the way we see content and make decisions, then today's Business of Hype guest definitely deserves to be in that conversation. He's helped brands rethink how they create and distribute their brand story and was one of the first people who saw the opportunity in the digital media space. And if you're a creator, then you very likely know about the companies he's created, Laundry and Cycle. They've ushered in some of the earliest influencers, even before the term influencer even existed. But his story goes beyond that. We're going to hear how he scraped together and hustled the early formations of his companies then successfully brought in partners, and now how he sees his future and the future of business in general. You're going to be surprised to hear what he thinks. Okay, let's get into it. A dissertation on a self-made entrepreneur, Jason Stein. My name is Jason Stein. I am an investor, entrepreneur, and business operator. Mm -hmm. The first businesses I started were called Laundry Service and Cycle. And Laundry Service was a social media agency in the era before social media was really a thing. Mm -hmm. So you're talking 2010-ish. Yeah. Facebook and Twitter and YouTube are starting to get popular. Were you on them then? Yeah. You were? Yep. Twitter and Instagram. I was pretty early on. Yeah. All right, cool. So ads didn't exist yet, but... Right. Uh, as you know, content was becoming a really big deal, mm -hmm. right? And I was running around New York City with a Canon 5D camera, right? That They were getting popular at the time. Yeah. I think that's what the model was then. Might have been a little earlier. And, you and if you had a 5D, you could like, the power to make a movie was in your the palm of your hands, right? Right. So you could run around New York City making beautiful films. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, all right, this is kind of cool. I just graduated NYU. And everybody's making these, this beautiful video content. It looks exactly like a film or, or a TV show, more or less, if you have a good lens and a good location. Yeah. And then at the same time, YouTube is really starting to pop off. Mm -hmm. And so what I realized was there's democratization of content creation and the democratization of content distribution, mm -hmm. where you can make something really, really good. And if it was good and you got it out to the right people, be, be it through ads or influencers, it could be seen by everyone in the world relatively quickly. Yeah, and cheaply. Yeah, pre yeah. pretty cheap. I mean, at the time, it was a lot easier to go viral than it is today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for me, it was a business opportunity of content creation and distribution, and I didn't even know what that meant. Like, I had never worked at an ad agency before. Uh -huh. I had done a little bit of work in production companies, but I realized that was probably an advantage from an entrepreneurial mm -hmm. mindset. That like, you didn't have the old rules in there. Yeah. Like, how, what, what was your background before you started your clothing brand? Uh, graphic design. Had you ever designed clothes? No. Okay. Exactly. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. Point taken. Yeah. If I had been like a fashion garmento, it would be totally different. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's a thing with entrepreneurship where you probably wouldn't be an entrepreneur if you felt like you needed to go practice it in mm -hmm. like a big corporation for a long time, right? That's true. There's very few people who 
work in corporate America for a long time, and then they're like, oh, now I'm going to go start a company. Yeah. Right. If you have the entrepreneurial mindset, you're probably like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to figure this shit out. Or you're, or you're like naive enough to think that you know what you're doing, uh-huh. and yeah. you can use it to spin it to your advantage. Over time, you right. fuck up a lot, you make a lot of mistakes, and then over time, you get pretty good at it. So what you're saying is at least half of what makes a good entrepreneur is not knowing what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> look, the truth is there's a huge advantage to thinking about what's the right way to do this mm-hmm. as someone who's never done it before, Yeah, especially if you want to be slightly disruptive to a business model. Mm-hmm. And in our case, there was nobody doing... Uh, content creation, meaning the the creative, the video production, the photo production, the video editing, yeah. in-house as an agency, they were mostly farming that out. Mm-hmm. So that was one innovation that we had. Yeah. The second one was doing media buying in the same place as that. Right. right now, even today, for the most part, you have creative and media buying separately. Mm-hmm. And I just thought like, well, I could do this all literally with my phone, yeah, all that, that whole model for the yeah. most part, right? You and like five people could do it. Right, <laughs> and, and so that's why you see more and more all agencies being disrupted because anyone with a camera phone, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is everyone now, yep. is a competitor. Yeah. They can all do that <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. well, right? Yeah, and, and that's happening. Like big agencies are scared of people who have big followings because they're almost their own agency at this point, right? Absolutely, and also what's happening is because it's gotten pretty easy for people to be able to create high quality content and distribute that content. There's so many good agencies now, right? Yeah. There, there's so many people who can create really, really good content and get to the right people and have a point of view on what's cool right. today in culture mm-hmm. that agencies have become commoditized. Even if they're all amazing, it doesn't matter. It right? doesn't matter. Yeah. They're all offering something similar and competing on price. Right. So from the very beginning, when you first started making content, were you always dead set on making it for like a quote unquote client or were, was there a time where you yourself were trying to be the influencer? Like, were you ever one of those people that like, I'm going to have half a million followers and people will pay me to like shield their product? No, that was never, that was never me. Okay. For, for me, uh, business is the best art form. I'm, I'm not the artist, mm-hmm. uh, unless you consider the, the founder or CEO an, an artist, right? Yeah. Uh, which I think in some form you do, but, do too, but no, yeah. like camera facing in front of the camera. No, that that's not who I am. But we did work with a lot of influencers early on mm-hmm. in that era as social media came up and influencers came up. We formed an entire division just focused on representing talent. Yeah, and and that was a very successful practice. Mm-hmm. I as think well. any any kid listening to this who like has what over like thirty thousand followers probably is aware of the companies that you founded because. They wanted to get represented by you guys. Yeah, I think people would either be familiar with Laundry Service and Cycle, or they have at least seen a lot of the work, whether mm-hmm. or not they know <laughs> what it came from. But like, so I don't know what you're what you guys want to use of that whole long spiel. But if you want to know what we did as, as a business, uh-huh. as, at least for this podcast, the best way to say it is like we were early in this hype game, right? <laughs> we were very early in that. Yeah, and from. The, the earliest era of like sneakers on Instagram, mm-hmm. right? Like, believe it or not, there was a time when the Jordan brand Instagram account had 500,000 followers. And actually, that's when we started working with the brand to start shooting content for them. And quickly, it's grown to like, I think, over 10 million now, just in the few years since we got the account, worked with it. Yeah. The agency grew, they grew. 
I sold the business. I left the business. They still represent. They still do that work. But the whole er- the whole game has changed and it's become this um, this really challenging space because everything is the same and everyone's posting the same thing. Yeah, dope photos of dope sneakers. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going up in that helicopter to get that shot. Like <laughs> when the Jordan Brand Instagram account did it at All Star Weekend in New York City a few years ago. The Statue of Liberty Jordans were releasing. We mm-hmm. went in the helicopter, went over the Statue of Liberty. We took the photo. We posted it on release day, and it went bonkers, right? Yeah. And that was that was like peak uh, right. social media peak hype, hype culture, yeah, right? Yeah. Now, now it's grown a lot, but it's everywhere. Yeah, and it's it's a lot. It doesn't have the same impact anymore when you see it happen. Maybe we're jaded because we're we're part of it, mm-hmm. but it certainly seems that what really stands out on social media today is great product the product to me is the content Mm -hmm. and what's interesting about the space that i've moved into now investing and operating in in a lot of direct-to-consumer brands and in apparel is that it almost doesn't matter what the content is today Mm. as long as it shows the product and people love the product right so the the stylization of the content has become moot I think it's become less and less important. Uh-huh. Of course, you need to have consistent brand look and feel, right? Yeah. But what's most important is how much people care about the product and mm-hmm. that you show it to them in a nice way. Yeah. Right? Like it, a clear it, way. That's it. Yeah. It can be on a white background, right? Mm-hmm. Like look through Kith's Instagram. Mm-hmm. They're photographing all of these Nikes, all of the Adidas, Clothes, all the yeah. New Balance, all their own product mm-hmm. on white backgrounds, right? right? Like right. people don't give a fuck yeah. about much beyond the fact that it's clean, it's pretty, it's <laughs> right. great photography, don't get me wrong, it's great styling, it's consistent, so mm-hmm. you understand what their brand aesthetic is, yeah. and it's out there every day. And right. I think if you release a new pair of off-whites, right, mm-hmm. does it really fucking matter <laughs> if you do a one-minute video for it, or you do a 30-second video, or you do a, a GIF, it's gonna or sell you do out. a... Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just post a photo of it. <laughs> People are going to freak out, right. and then they're going to get them, and then they're going to post their own photos, and it's going to be... The, the hype culture that exists and it's going on StockX and all these other places, uh-huh. I think standing for something through your product is the most important thing. Yeah. Do you think the days of that moment where like you shot the Jordans out of the helicopter over the Satchel, like the days of blowing someone's mind with an image, do you think those days are over now? I do. Wow. I, I, like, you just made every Instagram photographer cry. <laughs> there's a lot of people who can do it really well and it is a true art form and it's beautiful, right? But it's everywhere, and yeah. everybody's doing it, mm-hmm. and it's easier and easier to do. Yeah. So I, I do think so. But if you focus on really great, unique product like Nike does, right, mm-hmm. the product becomes the content. Yeah, and yeah. You, can, you can focus that creative energy on the product more and more. Instead of the marketing imagery. Because I think you're right. Like Everyone can kind of do a, let's say, a 90% and above Right, and there's some talented people that could do a 98 or 99, but still, everyone else with their phone can like score a 90 on an image, with the right filters and stuff. Right? I I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. It, and if you really want to get crazy, you can rent a really high end camera and really high end lenses for a very little amount of money mm-hmm. and make it that much better. Right. But I think the bigger point is if you score an 82 or a 96. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's what are you taking the, the photo of? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a good evolution for society anyway mm-hmm. because 
marketing is sort of BS, right? <laughs> you're either putting lipstick on a pig uh-huh. or you're not. Yeah. But if, if the marketing is just the product and the product is, is what does it best, and again, I think Nike does this better than anyone in the world, mm-hmm. you're good, yeah, right? Like right. Their, the equality campaign that Nike did, mm-hmm. the message was in the product as much as it was everywhere else, right? It, it's a point of view right. that starts with the product. Yeah, it's not like they took a shitty product that had nothing to do with equality mm-hmm. and wrote equality on billboards and then didn't tie it back. No, mm-hmm. you bought the T-shirt. Yeah. You could still buy the sneakers. They're still releasing equality sneakers that they just did from Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think again, the point of view starting with product and then bringing it to life other ways is the most important thing. Yeah, it's kind of like um, Darwinism, right? Like it should be this way. Product should be king. It should be survival of like the dopest and you know the best, right? Not who can spin the best smoke and mirror story for it. That that's what I believe. Yeah, and take it with a grain of salt because I built a business that grew from zero to six hundred people mm-hmm. in five years and sold that business. And I'm very lucky and grateful for everything it's given me and my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that marketing is stupid or marketing <laughs> is bad, but I I would tell you that the right marketing strategy starts with product. When something great happens, people like to say, oh, well, timing is everything. Or, wow, if only I were so lucky. Well, what the greater population typically doesn't see is the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes and the thinking it took prior to all that to even recognize that something different or new might be bubbling on the horizon. That's called vision. You add vision to hustle, determination, a bit of brazen stupidity, and a pinch of luck and timing, and then, and only then, can you even be considered for doing something quote-unquote great. Laundry service came from a need in the industry. As Instagram hype grew, so did the level of storytelling for brands. What Jason created helped disrupt this model, not only in terms of what the company itself offered, but also the type of agencies that would create work for big brands like Nike and Jordan. Large global agencies and holding companies that used to have all the power in purse strings now have to compete with much smaller, nimble agencies. The result was that many big corporations were going away from the single agency of record otherwise known as the AOR model, where one agency takes care of all areas of marketing and advertising from a single business. Now what you began to see was a splintering effect. Big corporations would have half a dozen or more boutique agencies picking up very specific needs and deliverables. But as you, the listener, knows, this industry moves quite fast. So Jason saw this need and started going hard at it. But more importantly, Just as he saw it starting, he saw it changing almost simultaneously. We're continuously evolving. Brands adapt, platforms update, consumers make decisions very differently from one day to the next. I mean, yesterday's niche is tomorrow's mass. And what could have been a growing bubble last week could go pop by today. Jason recognized this and knew something new would be on the horizon. Let's go back to the very beginning, before Jordan. How did you find companies to do your content for? So the, the whole business started with me renting 
a closet. Literally, a closet was all that I could afford. Mm-hmm. Uh, 817 Broadway. It's like 12th and Broadway. I was living in Greenwich Village with my wife. We met at NYU. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had recently gotten married. And she was like, you need to fucking start making money. Okay. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's 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 do this, right? Uh-huh. We, we rent this, thi- this little space. And uh, I start going on Craigslist every day because I had the idea of content creation distribution as, as a service, right? Okay. As a business. And you went on Craigslist to look yeah. for clients. I went on Craigslist. I had no other way to do it, right? <laughs> so I'm going on Craigslist, and there's a, this this section for TV, film, video. Uh-huh. And I would apply to jobs on it. And these were jobs where the headlines were like, need viral video for new clothing company, uh-huh. or need influencers, or make my YouTube cool. Like, like that's, that's exactly what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's what it said. And there were others that were like far more bizarre, like, like need photos of my truck to sell or something like that for like $62, right? Uh-huh. Um, but we applied to all the ones that seemed like they could be interesting. Yeah. We being like me, and then I brought in uh, someone to help on all of the production. Mm-hmm. And every day, maybe 150 jobs I would apply to, and maybe five would write back over a whole week, uh-huh. and one would become a job. But that means I had to go on a lot of very strange meetings <laughs> over the yeah. years. Uh, one guy hired us to help him write a, uh, a spec script for Mad Men. Really? He wanted to, yeah, he wanted to become. He wanted to leave his career in law to become a full time screenwriter, and uh-huh. he was a very well paid lawyer. So we started working, getting paid a lot of money by this guy <laughs> to help him become a screenwriter. And um, we like reviewed his his script, gave him feedback. You say like, you know, I don't think that Don Draper would say this. And wow. um, what a gig for you! I, I assume he didn't become the screenwriter for Mad Men. No, uh, <laughs> he he said he, he sent it in, didn't get a response back from the show, and he wanted to film the script with us and pay us to shoot it. Like reenact a fake Mad Men? Yeah. <laughs> this dude and had a lot of money to burn. <laughs> yeah, he had a sick apartment. <laughs> we did all the work out of it. And we were like, I don't think that's a good idea because you can't, you can't get the actors, right? He was like, we'll get lookalikes. We wow. Like, All, right, All right. Like, if you really want to do this, we're trying to build a business and like, there could be worse ways to try and yeah. do it. Right. So we go through like a process. We make a budget. We're halfway through. And then we go to the guy's apartment for a meeting and knock on the door one day and it's fucking vacant. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Wow. That was Do you it. know what happened? No, I have no idea. I was like, I don't want to know what, where this went. Right. I don't know what happened. Wow. No response. I feel like emails. a Ponzi scheme was involved in there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. We didn't get paid for like the last 50% of the work, but we had done so well and felt so bad at that point yeah. that we were good with it. So yeah, we had some weird things, but we also got, uh, we produced a Kung Fu film that we got off of Craigslist. Wow. Uh, that ended up being picked up by Universal. It was a really mediocre B-list kung fu movie. Um, <laughs> I think it's super admirable, actually, that you spent hours on end going through hundreds of Craigslist listings and just, I mean, talk about, like, sifting through muck just to get, like, one thing, right? Yeah, it was a challenging way to build a business, but there's no fun way to build a business, and there's no uh, there's no glamour in entrepreneurship. It's brutal. It's mm-hmm. really hard. It um, you have to push yourself to the point of mild insanity to yeah. become a successful entrepreneur is, is what I think. And you have to be willing to go there. And right. 
have the fortitude to, to go through those ups and downs to, to make it out. Yeah. Did your then girlfriend to be wife was like, you're wasting your time now, like doing all this stuff. Or did you both believe like, no, we've got something here. Um, so she was working at Viacom at the time. Okay. And I think she believed in me and supported me. But I, at one point, like we both vividly remembered this convo on instant message where I was like, I'm going to make this much money by this age. And she literally like laughed at me and I got super heated. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, fucking watch. And then we didn't talk about it for like four years. Uh -huh. And then the day I sold the company, I was like, yo, you remember that message? And she's like, oh, she knew exactly what I was talking about. She's like, yeah, you were right. Sorry. So now she doesn't doubt it. Yeah. Shout out AOL Instant Messenger. Right? That's how we started our whole relationship, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. AOL Instant Messenger, for those who don't know, was like kind of like the first social media. Yeah. Right? It was like the first place where all your friends were hanging out digitally. Yeah. What yeah. was your screen name? Jeff Staple 1 because someone oh, had Jeff Staple. That's boring. <laughs> Mine was J-Ball 30 because I played basketball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you actually, were you a sneakerhead like before you got the Jordan account? Yeah. Okay. So Be you because knew... I was because I was a basketball player and um that's really where a lot of the the inspiration for me in in sports began mm -hmm. was just wearing Nike is like the first pennies I remember getting at the store when they first came out. Mm -hmm. They were terrible shoes to play basketball, but they were so pretty. Yeah. Uh, and then graduating to those foam posits. Okay. The, I remember going to get the first Jordan 11s that ever came out uh -huh. with my dad before a, like a, a AAU basketball game. Yeah. And he was like, you really shouldn't play basketball in patent leather. It makes you look like a hot dog. And I was like, nah, I'm definitely getting these sneakers. <laughs> They're fucking incredible. Right. Um, so I have a soft spot for those. Yeah. But yeah, just by nature of spending most of my childhood and young adult life traveling the world playing basketball mm -hmm. at a fairly competitive level, mm -hmm. I was deeply into sneaker culture. Yeah. So you mentioned getting Jordan, which I assume is what really helped put your agency on the map, right? How yeah, did you once you get Jordan, you have to stop applying to jobs on Craigslist because <laughs> if, if they find out, if Nike finds out you're doing that, it's a wrap. Wait, so how did you get even in touch with Jordan? So... There's a little bit of the fake until you make it mm -hmm. uh, in everything, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we're doing a bunch of this work. We start getting a couple of jobs. We actually got a Foot Locker job off of Craigslist at the time through their agency who was like a traditional agency and said, we don't know how to do this. Can you make a YouTube video? Wait, so, so pause one second. Do, does that still happen today? Do like legit agencies and clients still advertise on Craigslist? I don't think so. Okay, I now it's it. just porn stars and like people trying to make like <laughs> b-level i'm like i don't even want to go on that on any of my devices because god knows where where that leads you yeah. like uh, i'm afraid of that but okay but back then like the footlocker agency was like looking for help on craigslist well what probably happened was like they got a, a brief from footlocker like hey our youtube sucks it needs to be good mm -hmm. you guys got to figure this out and we're firing you right so like okay no problem we just hired a specialist right then they go on Craigslist, post like, need to buy a video, like, we'll pay per right. view, like, if you make it good, right. right? So, we got an expert. His name's Jason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we end up getting a bunch of uh, decent jobs that mm -hmm. way or enough decent content that you can show for it, right? Okay. Then I had a friend uh, named Stacy Tarver. Shout mm -hmm. out to Stacy. She was, uh, she's been a longtime Nike employee mm -hmm. and had started there, like just working in the retail store in New York after we graduated at NYU. Okay. And she was like, hey, I've seen what you're doing 
uh, we need an agency out here. Would love for you to come pitch. Mm -hmm. So obviously, like that's the opportunity you go for. Yep. Went back and forth to Portland a dozen times, and uh, Nike puts you through the ringer. It's like getting jumped in. Yeah. And we ended up, you know, long story short, getting that that Jordan business. Mm -hmm. we, we pitched against uh, one of your former uh, podcast yeah. guests, Coltrane, Coltrane Curtis, Curtis. <laughs> uh, who's who's become a really good friend of mine. But the interesting story there was when we started pitching and we we won that business. He he definitely hated me. Mm -hmm. And um, might have subtweeted me a bunch of times, <laughs> or our agency as a whole, mm -hmm. uh, possibly like sent some angry emails to us. I don't even know. He probably doesn't even remember, but he's like a legendary emailer. So if you ever emailed him, <laughs> you would know, right? Um, and then you know, fast forward, uh, we we sell the company and we're living. We moved to this new building in Dumbo. We, we had always lived in Dumbo, but mm -hmm. now we're in this new building. Yeah, and. Coltrane's there, and we haven't talked in in years, mm -hmm. right? Just since that all sort of went down. Yeah, and we both are in the gym every morning at six a.m. Right? He's working out with his trainer. I'm doing cardio, and we just like walk by each other for a year straight. Don't even look at each other. Like we both know, but yeah. we, but we we don't say anything. <laughs> and then eventually, there was like a flood in the building. We're both in the basement, and we're just like, all right, we should just be friends now. And. Uh, <laughs> Now we're the like we're very close friends, and he's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Um, but it's just like one of those funny things where like people don't business. like each other for yeah. no reason. It's right. business. It amazes me to hear these stories about Jason's come up. When you have an idea and direction of what you want to create or the service you want to provide, you need to start somewhere. And I mean, Craigslist is probably the most democratic option there is. There are so many listings asking for help on Craigslist. And as Jason mentioned, many odd projects and random stories were the result. But from all those came Foot Locker, which led to Jordan. Call it luck. Call it persistence. Call it failing isn't an option. Or recognize that there needs to be a mix of it all. Jason's eventual success from those Craigslist days is a testament to his smart entrepreneurial mindset and hustle mentality. It was also a sign of the times on the brand and agency side. This type of brand work through Craigslist doesn't exactly exist anymore. Or hell, maybe it does. Someone check and let me know. But where should you turn to today? One approach is by producing whatever you can with the means that you have and with the people around you whether it's products, events, dance videos, be great kung fu movies, doesn't matter. Whatever you have in front of you, create with it. And once you have a good amount of work under your belt and you're confident in showing it, that's when you can start packaging it as work and offer this type of work to other people to collaborate with you on, hopefully for a check. But my advice is make it something that means a lot to you, something that you're passionate about. Because if you're not, you're simply going to get bored and burn out. As many have mentioned throughout the business of hype, collaborations aren't between brands as the media would have you believe. They're actually between people. The leadership and big stakeholders in the company, they aren't usually putting together this collaborative work. It all starts and is often carried through by individual people. So whether you aspire for a big collaboration project or just want to help a brand's photo shoot, or create content for a campaign, 
Look for these individual people. Look for someone in the right specific role related to what you want to do. This can be on the agency side, the production side, internally on the brand side, or the many, many, many other sides that exist. And try to connect in a way that's most unique to you. But never forget, you're not out there trying to get a corporation with 10,000 plus employees to notice you. It comes down to individual people. No matter how digital we get, never lose sight of what makes you unique and then leveraging that to connect with the people that might make a difference in your life. Can we zoom in a bit on, uh, for people who uh, don't know, but dream to one day be able to pitch Nike on anything? And you guys were obviously a somewhat established agency at that time. Like, how many employees did you have when you went to pitch Nike slash Jordan? Um, we, we probably had 10, and we probably told them we had 30. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They um, were like, do you have any offices on the West Coast? And we were like, we're planning to open one in Portland really soon, and we currently have one in L.A. And the one in L.A. was like one employee who we had was working out of his house. Uh-huh. And the no office plan, in Portland no was like, Portland. yeah, we have plans. If we win this account, we're planning to open an office out here. It's a totally fake until you make it. Yeah, but the, to answer your question, the way to win business mm-hmm. from Nike is to have true, authentic passion, not just for their product, but for being an athlete, period, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what Nike's mission really is, is to serve athletes in, yeah. in any way they can mm-hmm. beyond just product, right? And as someone who has been an athlete his whole life and played sports competitively for a long time, that was a big part of what I think they saw in us. Like, yeah, these guys get social media, but they also are truly living and breathing this. Yeah. And I also put in the Jordan pitch deck like lit a bunch of photos of me playing basketball in Jordans for like most of my life mm-hmm. just to be like go through a bunch of slides and be like, and here's me at 14 wearing, <laughs> wearing this model. Here's me wearing these, uh, you know, the the 12s and then the 13s and the 14s yeah. every year. And they're just like, okay, like th- this is legit. It's right. not like you're coming in and faking the, mm-hmm. the authenticity. So just be real and and show your skill, but in an authentic way. Yeah. It, if you're not an athlete, uh-huh. you probably shouldn't pitch Nike business or work on it. Yeah, that's a good point. How about the financials around it? Because and just the logistics, like the infrastructure. If did you ever think like if you got this Jordan gig, you'd have to have more than ten people? Like, did it matter to you that you didn't know who the other people were yet that were going to work on this if you got it? <laughs> it definitely matters, but I also knew if if I had to do it myself for the first month, we we would be fine. Uh-huh. That's also just <laughs> right. You know, you start interviewing people when you think you're going to win the business, uh, you know, and it takes a month for it to close your negotiating contracts and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I knew there were enough people who would be a, really excited to work on Jordan brand business. Yeah. Also, just being an entrepreneur, I think there's a lot of, like, unknown and being okay with the unknown, right? Like, I don't have the answer, but it's fine. Let's get it, and I'll figure out the answer. Yeah, look, you're definitely never okay with the unknown. It drives you batshit crazy, Mm -hmm. right? But you are okay with feeling that feeling. And (laughs) over time, as an entrepreneur, you start to realize there is an unknown element to everything you're doing, and you're going to have to figure it out as you go. Mm -hmm. And being being able to adapt is 
a key piece of it. Dealing with stress and adapting and just waking up every day and going hard. Yeah, yeah. It's no different than sports. Yeah. That's, that's what true. I always liked it too. Yeah. And then um, I think you got Beats as well, right? Beats by Dre. Yeah, Beats called us and they were like... After Jordan. Well, they were like, oh, we heard you on the Jordan business, so we'd like to hire you now. That was like basically the conversation. How soon? Uh, three weeks later. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we had pitched them and tried to get them before, uh-huh. uh, before Apple had even acquired them. Wow. But it was only after we won that business where they, they were like, oh, we want to work with you guys. We've seen your work and we see where you're going with it. And then once you win Beats and Jordan, like we're talking like 2014 now, I mm-hmm. think, early 2014, like they were two of the hottest brands in the world, yeah. uh, you know, blowing up across the internet mm-hmm. and we were behind a lot of that work. Yeah. So it, it spitballs from there. Was the uh, Beats pitch as hard as the Jordan pitch? No. Super easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy. Nothing's easy, but... Um, I had said on the Jordan one, I've been playing basketball my whole life mm-hmm. and social media is the business I've decided to be in and that's all I've been doing for the last four years. If we cannot win a social media basketball business, we should just shut down the company. You said that in the meeting? I said, that said, to to our, I said it to myself. I said it to the team. Uh-huh. So that I was super stressed about that. Like I couldn't live with myself. It was my favorite <laughs> brand ever. Yeah. To not be able to win that business would have been a disaster. Right. And then how did you go in? What was your perspective on the Beats job? I was like, Beats is dope. Um, <laughs> I'm dope. <laughs> I'm definitely not dope, but this is a great brand. Uh-huh. And um, it's only going up. And we have a deep understanding of culture and music and um, the youth point of view. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just a natural fit, again, authentically for yeah. what we stand for, what we, what we believed in. How about after um, Beats, how big did the company get? From the time we won that business at Jordan and we were like 10 to 15 people mm-hmm. to uh, four years later, it went from 15 people to 550. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and so we sold the business. Continued to grow it for a little bit of time mm-hmm. and then left because it became clear that that game, content in general, whether you're BuzzFeed, whether you're Vice, whether you're uh, the best agencies in the world, was be, being commoditized. And as an agency, that's a tough spot to be in because you don't own any IP mm-hmm. in the agency space. You just create it for other people. Right. Right. And I really wanted to apply the learnings of content creation, distribution of um, technology development to building and creating and owning IP. Yeah. And so the business that we're focused on now is, is just that. Mm-hmm. It's um, working with businesses and investing in them yeah. and advising them uh, across apparel, direct-to-consumer, media technology who own and create really great IP Mm -hmm. and want help scaling. I hope you're taking notes. Throughout this conversation, Jason has given us so many great insights, not only around content creation and the distribution space through an agency lens, but how to connect with the brand as well as the realities of just being an incredible entrepreneur. It's refreshing to hear Jason speak about if pitching Jordan was even the best idea. Sure, it makes sense for him, but sometimes it doesn't make sense for the next person, despite everyone knowing how big the brand is. 
it's important to understand what you add to the table. Be real with yourself and think about what unique perspective you can offer the brand. Is there a shared passion or a shared perspective that you can build a foundation around? Like what Jason said, almost anyone today can say they're an expert at social media. So what differentiates you from the entire pack? These self-realizations can be hard at first, but they're what people and brands are looking for. In a scroll of sameness on Instagram and in an ever-evolving digital world, what about you and your work will catch people's eye? Remember those traits that Jason says, adaptability, dealing with stress, and always giving it your all. Those key characteristics will help you throughout any type of work you do. You know what's interesting is, because um, we spoke a little bit before, but like, essentially you wanted to take what you learned and then instead of always giving it away to somebody for just cash but not actual like equity, um, you wanted to do it to things that you have a piece of and own. But at the same time, you're not a founder. Like you don't want to make up your own brand from scratch yet. Why, why is that? Is that well, like a different part of your brain? Um a founder of a business that's deploying capital and investing and acquiring stakes in those businesses, right? Yeah. Um, but I believe the founder's vision is the most valuable thing okay. in business, right? Whether it's Jeff Bezos' vision or Steve Jobs' vision mm -hmm. or the vision of the kids starting the new streetwear brand tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, when you've got someone with a unique point of view and nothing will stop them from achieving it. Yeah. All they really need is the right guidance, mm -hmm. maybe some money to go achieve their goals. And honestly, man, like it's not fun. So if somebody else wants to do that now that I've done it and I'm fortunate enough to be able to support them mm -hmm. doing, doing that, <laughs> I'm cool with it. Right. But I like operating businesses now, bigger businesses, mm -hmm. um, still having a hand in that. And that'll be a part of, where we go, you know, in, in the future. But what I think is going to happen is in the apparel space, in the merch space, because I know that's where a lot of your listeners are, are most interested. Yeah. I wonder if something similar that happened in content where there became so much of it and it became so easy to create incredible content mm -hmm. and forms of self-expression, uh, could that be happening in the streetwear space and the apparel space uh, in, in general, where right. you see so many awesome brands mm -hmm. are now popping up yep. and they all have a really incredible, unique point of view on the hoodie, yeah. right? Or the t-shirt yeah. t-shirt, or socks mm -hmm. or, or winter hats, right? <laughs> yeah. And you, you're like an OG in this space, so I'd love to know what you think. But when I look across the business side of the spectrum mm -hmm. and look at the, you know, as we've been, evaluating companies in this space, there's a lot of companies in this like two to say $12 million in revenue, uh, maybe 15 or 20 mm -hmm. that are sort of like there. Yeah. And there's not a clear path for a lot of them or for, for all of them to get to a hundred million, mm -hmm. which is a great business, right? Yeah. So what are you saying? Cause you've been in this. Mm -hmm. What do I think? Uh, I think there is a point where there's an oversaturation and if it's kind of like crabs in a pot and everyone's just sort of trying to get out of it um, and 
because now everyone is able to make their own T-shirt and potentially go viral with that T-shirt, like we spoke a little about Antisocial Social Club, right? Like it's one graphic that he's able to generate millions and millions of dollars out of. So that's great for one thing. The the downside of it, you know, not to blow up your spot, but you're like, where's that brand now? So, you know, I don't know the answer to that. But anyway, the longevity of that brand maybe is sacrificed in the speed of that brand, right? So it was really fast, really tr- on trend. But then like, is that brand, are, be- are people betting on that brand to be the next Ralph Lauren? Bleh, I don't know, you know, whereas like a, a brand like, John Elliott or like, you know, an, an Ame or something like that where I feel like their tra- their trajectory is not necessarily hockey stick growth, but they're like crafting something. You could tell that there's like a lot of care and like attention going into it, right? I, I definitely agree that brands that push above what people consider streetwear, because I don't think, I don't even like that, that name or mm-hmm. term, but right. the idea of, of brands that, become we'll call it designer menswear mm-hmm. or luxury menswear yeah meaning the craft becomes extremely intricate whether you're talking about stitching patterns or the fabrics mm-hmm. um or the dye process yeah um the more intricate you can become and the more you can push up in price point mm-hmm. and also distribution at wholesale yeah i think the better chance you have of scaling a business. And that's not to say that it's not great to have a five or seven million dollar business, mm-hmm. right? That sells stuff at a lower price point or um is is sweats and hoodies business. Yeah. But from a business perspective, it's not ideal to as an investor or it's not going to get you a big exit Mm -hmm. it's cool to have that business you could probably support yourself on a great lifestyle forever and it becomes your self-expression but as everyone talks about the streetwear is the next luxury and it's the next big thing right Mm -hmm. i wonder if if what they're really saying is there's a lot of awesome brands now but it's it's really um the revenue is allocated across Thousands of, of brands over time yeah. instead of some huge winners. Like how many big brands are there out of this quote unquote streetwear era? Mm-hmm. Big, big, big brands. When you say big, you mean hundred million plus, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. say let's say let's just use that as a yeah. number. Right. You could count them on one hand, I think. Well, you gotta take Supreme out because Okay. Damn, like you gotta take Supreme out, then that's <laughs> they're twenty five years old. They're, why why they're, take first Supreme all, not, out? They're 25 years old. They're not part of this like new D to C streetwear. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just like giving all the headlines that um, may mislead people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, let's just take them out because they're they're, they're 25 they're, years and old. They're an, they're an outlier. Yeah, they are. Um, they're really a skate brand more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, Still, I mean, yeah. It's so, like, so when you take them out, there's not a lot of no. big those big businesses left, right? right. I think. Kith is probably one of the most uh, admirable and successful examples mm-hmm. of this. And I think a huge part of it, as most people know, is the multi-brand retailer mm-hmm. element there. Yeah, the curation of like all the brands they carry, the footwear, and the private label. Yeah, I liken it to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Netflix started by licensing content from the studios 
right? And right. as you remember, you were getting DVDs of your Red favorite envelope. TV shows and films in the mail, right? Yep. And then it went to streaming, but they built a huge audience by licensing popular content and uh -huh. getting people to pay for their service and watch that content on their service. Mm -hmm. Now, once you have a huge audience, you're a very, very valuable platform, right? Yeah. Whether you're Facebook or you're Instagram or you're Netflix. Mm -hmm. In Netflix's case, they also collected a ton of data yep. on what people liked watching. Mm -hmm. Everything. When, how often, where, right? Yeah, at what point was there a drop-off in a TV show? Mm -hmm. At what point did, did engagement in a film viewership spike? Yep. Right? So they're collecting all this data at Netflix, and they're like, you know what would be great is if we started making our own content based on what this data. Learned. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I bet people will be really, really excited about it. And lo and behold, now people can't stop watching a new series that comes out. You're binge watching it. They're yeah. owning the culture every weekend. Like even right now, right? You've got like Fire Festival, uh -huh. you, yeah. uh, this, I haven't watched it yet, but this, I think Ted Bundy documentary. I saw a lot of people tweeting about this weekend. Uh -huh. uh, I just watched The Bodyguard. I don't know if you've seen yep. that. It's I amazing. See, I saw the first one of it. But yeah, they own, they own your eyeballs now. Right. Yeah. So, so once you own an audience, and similarly what, what Kith did, built up mm -hmm. by dropping Nikes, right, yep. or New Balance, um, you can monetize that audience in a lot of ways. And so That's very interesting. over time, Kith has taken obviously a lot of information on what people want to buy mm -hmm. and built their own great brand and product that people get really, really excited about. And I think that's, that's an interesting model. Wow. And it's also interesting because... The other th big trend I'm seeing in the you know direct consumer apparel space, let's call it, yeah, rather than streetwear, <laughs> is um, there's a lot more reliance on wholesale uh -huh. than people would like to admit. Yeah, because the general consensus of the news headlines is wholesale retail is dead or dying, but you're saying there's actual great importance on wholesale. There's no doubt that the retailers are in a very challenged space, mm -hmm. right? But they're still spending a significantly significant amount of money buying great brands, mm -hmm. right? And it's certainly as you go higher up in price point into closer to luxury, right? Yeah. Um, you they're they're buying a good amount and it's less at risk, mm -hmm. right? So unless you become the multi-brand retailer, yeah, like Kith did, you're really needing to rely a lot on those orders because then you don't have inventory risk or, or just a very small amount of inventory risk. Yeah. Uh, whereas on direct-to-consumer, you can't just be a $30 million direct-to-consumer brand in year one, two, or three because then you have to buy that much inventory yeah. and hope it all sells out and buy ads to build an audience that you don't have yet. Right. right. And you've uh, got to service every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Jane customer versus one store who just places like a $10 million order. Right. Yeah. So so I, in the ideal world, every brand sets out and wants to be direct-to-consumer yeah. only. And, right. and that's the end game for almost all of them. Mm -hmm. But in, in the reality world, it's a, a heavier reliance on wholesale, whether that's 40% or 70% or 90% mm -hmm. of your brand. That's It's a huge piece of building any direct-to-consumer business today. Wow. That's like uh, almost blasphemy from what people are talking about. You know, like, oh, if you're going to start a brand now, you got to only go D to C. You got to only do You do. Own. That's, yeah, you that's do. true. Yeah. But <laughs> hi, there, there's only so many paths to getting there, yeah. right? Because it, it takes time and money to build that audience. And 
Um, I think a lot of people saw direct-to-consumer products like Dollar Shave Club Mm -hmm. or Away Luggage and said, this is going to happen in apparel. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between apparel that doesn't apply for like the Dollar Shave Clubs and the Quip toothbrushes of the world? My theory is the products are less of a commodity Mm -hmm. than what has happened with apparel. And I don't say that in a bad way. Uh I'm saying there's so many awesome apparel brands that not any single one of them is getting the scale of, in a way, luggage, which is competing with a lot less brands in that space or Dollar Shave Club, right? There weren't any other that I know of subscription services to buy razor blades. <laughs> right. So they were they had no competitors. Right? They, yeah. they had competitors, but their competitor was being sold only at Dwayne Reed. Yes. Right. Right. So same they, with uh Quip toothbrush or whatever. But right. And and similarly in, in the luggage space, yeah, right? Yeah. Beats by Dre is also a great example of that. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. There there were a lot of good great headphones brands and at the time Beats didn't compare in quality to any of them. Yeah. Right. But they built a great brand and sold it you know, made it feel more like a direct-to-consumer brand, personalized, um, buy it online, yeah, uh, using influencers, being culturally relevant, and brought a lifestyle element to it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's dope. It's going to be music to a lot of brands' ears that you say, like, wholesale is still important, and stores, to be honest. Don't get me wrong. If you have a way to never sell at wholesale, <laughs> that is the right path, right? right? Uh, but, I, but I think what we'll, you'll really start to see happen is um, brands needing to develop a strategy that balances um, wholesale and direct-to-consumer. And what that means is uh, making a lot more products mm-hmm. because you need some that are exclusive to your website because supply and demand is really what this comes down to. Yeah. If it's sold everywhere else, why are people going to come to your right. website? Right. right. Also, if it's sold at wholesale... Mm-hmm. You, it has to be a lot higher price than it needs to be if you're just selling it on your website, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to mark it up a, a significant amount yeah. for that wholesaler. Right. So you could char- you could really sell something for a decent amount less mm-hmm. on your website, yeah, if it's exclusive to your website, right? It and, either has and to if be the wholesalers don't get upset and notice that you're doing that, right? <laughs> right. But that, that's the strategy. That's what every brand I assure you, every brand is thinking about today. Mm-hmm. Either you do it like a separate line for your website or a reduced price on your website. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Look, there, it's also not a secret. It's been written about a lot that Nike focused so much on the sneakers app and on these D2C apps mm-hmm. because they were too reliant on Foot Locker, right? Yep. And by taking their hottest inventory, mm-hmm. right, and only selling it in their app, yep. supply and demand swung in their favor, right? Yeah. Highest demand being sold only in one place, right? Right, right. So... They also control the supply chain. Yeah, yeah. You're not seeing the off-white ones at Foot Locker, right? Right. The same way you saw those patent leather Jordans released years ago when I got them mm-hmm. at, I think, was Foot Action. <laughs> um, yeah. So They're playing that supply-demand game the right. best, yeah. I think every brand needs to. It's, it's easier said than done, mm-hmm. but that seems to be where that space is going today. Jason has touched on so many gems. There's a reason why he's transitioned beyond content. He's knowledgeable and curious in so many areas. 
What's amazing is not only these nuggets of insightful information, but also the ability to observe and connect the dots across multiple industries. This is a very important way of thinking for anyone. Yes, be an expert in your field, own it, and even strive to disrupt or pioneer it. But never forget what else is out there, what else is going on in the horizon. Learnings can be found and directly applied from somewhere mildly related or maybe not related at all. For example, Jason's comparison between Kith and Netflix is pretty spot on, yet I've never heard it described quite like that. Here are two companies who have disrupted the game, and even though they're in completely different fields, there are so many parallels that you could find between the two. Drawing those conclusions requires a sense of curiosity and the ability to think beyond the surface of a company or what's happening at this very moment. What are the broader trends that are happening and the implications of those trends? Challenge yourself when looking at a brand through that scope. How does this apply to me? How can I make it apply to me? Always keep an eye open to what else is out there. Even if you can't glean direct business learnings at that time, use it as a way of inspiration. Okay, so what is the name of your investment arm now? It's called Steins. Okay. Uh, not just because my name is Steins. That's actually, um, there's, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, my wife is also my partner in it, but it's named after my great-grandfather's business. He, my great-grandfather Joseph came here from Austria-Hungary to escape the Holocaust in the early 1900s and became a tailor. Uh-huh. And then from that decided to open up uh, retail clothing stores called uh, Steins, America's Greatest Clothiers. And if you go to steins.co, you can see photos of it. It's pretty crazy. Oh, they cool. had, uh, I think they ha- ended up having like 95 stores around the country. Oh, he had like uh, a department store. Yeah. Wow. Menswear. Cool. Menswear. Cool. Suits for like $19.99. Um, <laughs> really nicely designed stores. And I actually just bought one of the suits on eBay recently. Really? Yeah. With Sick. his label on it? Yeah. Oh, There's so a lot of them. It was big. It was a really big, big store and chain. So you're like carrying the torch now to a new type of business. I, I hope I hope so. I don't think there's any way to live up to um, the the idea that someone came to this country with literally nothing, mm-hmm. right? Not just no money, but like no cell phone, right? Like where do you get information? How do you find people? How do you connect to people? How do you follow what's going on? Yeah. Um, you're just like on your own, right? Right. And you build something. Yeah. And it becomes this this great, incredible business that you then sell. Um, I think I got the entrepreneurial DNA and mm-hmm. that defiant mindset. But what what I had was like a layup. I was I was, you know, born born ready to go versus right. what they had to go through. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and so what are the, can you talk a little bit about some of the investments that you've made? Yeah. So, um, you know, we spoke a little bit about this trend that, that I think is interesting of the space between the highest end luxury, which, you know, like the Gucci's of the world mm-hmm. and the space of, um, what you could consider the, the sweats and hoodies brands today that are all interesting and doing well. Yeah. That, that space in between there where those two come together, which mm-hmm. is like that, you know, Average order value of like maybe say three hundred dollars, right? Okay. Where you can get some really awesome stuff for that. Mm-hmm. So we have involvement in a brand called Alvadia and Sons, uh, which is 
probably the most popular independent brand for NBA players today, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool thing to say, given their obsession with style. But like PJ Tucker is wearing it all the time. Yeah, LeBron is wearing it all the time. Um, and they have a great story. They stand for um, you know the spiritual nature of their the founders and. So we're we're involved in that. I'm mm -hmm. involved in John Elliott, which which is also um, that level of brand. Yeah, yeah. Those are the those are the main apparel brands. Uh, we did an investment in a company called Ladders, which is uh, a workout supplement company co-founded by LeBron James, Cindy Crawford, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's and helpful. I think Lindsey Vaughn. Okay. It's awesome. Product's really good. I'm actually drinking it right now in, oh, this, okay. in this glass. Um, <laughs> What we, else? We we invested in a technology company called Transmit, which is live streaming technology that's used by Twitch and the NFL, mm -hmm. um, Apple News, and and so forth to live stream content around the internet. Okay. And uh, a media company called Front Office Sports, which covers the business of sports. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. So you're involved in all these things. Um, which one do you have the most passion for, would you say? Is it the apparel stuff? or The, the cool thing about what I do now is that uh, I'm only working on things that I'm deeply passionate about and mm -hmm. I never have to work on anything that, that isn't <laughs> interesting to me. Yeah. And I love all of them. Okay. I love technology. Mm -hmm. uh, I love building technology products and scaling them. Uh, I've, I've done a significant amount of investing and in, in, um, working in that space. I love media and, you know, whether it's long form original content, entertainment. I've been studying Disney, Walt Disney my whole life. Mm -hmm. Uh just went to Disney World. All adults should go to Disney World a lot. Did I we agree. talk about this? Yeah. yeah. Adults need to go to Disney World. Disney sure. World is amazing, yeah. right? Um, and I love product. Mm -hmm. And I love high quality product. Yeah. So, and, and this, this space of um, these new culturally relevant apparel brands is very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see all of them go and disrupt the traditional. Yeah. Um, so to the extent that we can be a good partner to those businesses and help guide them through this whole wholesale versus D2C versus multi-brand retailer mm -hmm. um, isn't is a really exciting thing for me. With um, Ovadi and Sons, were you aware of the brand before you invested? Like, were you a fan of the brand already? Yeah, okay. sure. And sure. Then, I, but that's how both, uh, all, all the brands I've gotten involved in are, are like that, is like, I wear it. You can see what I'm wearing today, uh -huh. right? Um, so yeah, I, if I'm not a personal believer in it, I think similar to that Nike athlete analogy. Yeah, it's like, yeah. You need a lot of passion to put a lot of the time into anything that you're doing that's mm -hmm. required to be successful, right? Right. So you should just not do it if you're yeah. not really passionate about it, period. Yeah. And then did you reach out to them or they reached out to you? Got connected through uh -huh. mutual friends in, in both cases. And, okay. Um, my, my passion and, and clear like desire to to be a proponent of that business, whether formally or not, was yeah. clear right. from knowing everything inside <laughs> and out, and you go from there. Jason's advice throughout this episode is awesome. If you have the opportunity, invest your time and even money into something you're passionate about. If you're someone who has many passions but don't know the right angle or way in, think of those interests and where those intersections lie because it is at those intersection points that you can find the most amazing opportunities. I think 
some brands, like a, a lot of brand owners listen to this podcast and you get to the point where you build your own company and then if you're actually, if you're doing, um, if you're doing your job well, I think you get to a point where people might be interested in being a part of your company financially, equity, equity wise, or you might be interested in bringing in outside partners, right? I think it's weird from like zero, like if you look at a scale of one to 10, like from zero to five, it's like, fuck the man, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to yeah. bootstrap this, right? And like, I'm not going to sell out by bringing other people. If you get past five, you're like, wait a second, actually, it might be helpful if I brought in other people, you know? Um, what advice would you give to someone who is like now looking for outside people? What is the best way to to start that conversation with someone on the outside and find the right partner? I think you got to find people who have a deep understanding and passion for your business mm -hmm. and who appreciate your vision. Yeah. And if you don't have alignment on that vision, as outlandish or crazy as it may feel or seem, as big as your visions may be, if, if the people investing you aren't on board with it or can't help facilitate it or guide it in, in the right direction, mm -hmm. it's going to be a disaster, mm. right? And I have friends and experiences where... Um, People work together for financial reasons, yeah. Uh, but there's not a true alignment on where the businesses are going, and those things end up in really challenging places quickly, mm -hmm. a lot quicker than you'd think. So, right, um, it's hard to ignore the money, though, right? <laughs> like if there's someone about to give you money, it's yeah, yeah. But it could also be the end of your business if yeah. you, if you take the wrong money from the wrong people or. You know, someone's offering you all this money, but it's at a very high valuation, right? Mm -hmm. And you think that's great. I'm not going to get diluted a lot. But then you have to go justify this $100 million valuation right. for a company that may really be worth a lot less than that. Mm -hmm. And you have to invest a lot of money and do things that you don't want to do to, to quote to unquote, sell out, right? right? To do that, right? right. And, and not in the sort of framework you want. Like, remember, Supreme is 25 years old, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes taking that path is, is okay. Yeah. I don't think you should say no to money. I just think you need anyone who works with you needs to be more than just money. Mm -hmm. They have to have a strategic alignment and understanding of your business and be able to add value be, beyond money. If you have a good business, it's not that hard to raise money. It's really not, mm -hmm. right? People see it. People notice it. They're, anyone who has money or who's an investor will want to invest in a good business, yeah, right? right? Build a good business is the best way to get investors, okay? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I, I think that's really the, the right way to think about it. And then... Choose the right ones based on what they can do for you beyond money. Yeah. How about uh, the pitch itself? Because I think a lot of people like, I think Shark Tank has a lot to do with this. Like, you know, like the the Shark Tankification of the of the investing world. Like people think like, if I have like my my 90 second pitch down, I can get money. But you're saying just build a business. Is well, the, the best pitch is a great business and a great P&L and actual profits, right? And mm -hmm. there's so few businesses that actually focus on being profitable. Yeah. Right. Uh, but once you have profits, you control your destiny. You don't need to raise money if you don't want to. You only raise it if you are doing something specific to grow it beyond where you are or you want to bring in a mind or an ex someone who has an experience doing something that you don't have yet, right? Yeah. Um, as far as the pitch, say less. Okay. Say Good less. <laughs> like let, let the business speak for itself. Let the product speak for itself. Let the P&L speak for itself. Mm. If you have to spend a long time, like people don't have that long of an attention span. Right. Uh, the I, this is a, my, my rule for life and people who work with me uh -huh. will, will tell you this is like use the least amount of words you need to use to explain whatever it is you want to explain. Mm -hmm. And clearly I'm, I'm breaking my own rule on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that, that's my view. No, that's really good advice. 
Um, I want to ask you one more other bit of advice because you did have laundry and you had Cycle. Yep. Cycle was sort of like um, what the like Instagram influencer management, right? Yeah, side. it started as an influencer management business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we scaled it into a media company and we did a bunch of development deals and original content for uh, ESPN, Netflix, um, Fox, Fox Sports, mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. But so in, it, in doing that, you were representing a lot of young people who got an early grip on Instagram and were sort of like Instagram famous, correct? Yes. Yeah. What would you give, and this is like a weird double-edged sword, but I feel like a lot of young people are like sort of obsessed with trying to be Instagram famous because they think it's like a career. And I'm not saying that to say it's not a career, but what is your advice to someone who is today trying to do that? It can absolutely be a career. And there's obviously a lot of examples where it is a career. Mm -hmm. But I think the best examples are the people who became Instagram famous for a craft or an art or a product or a company that they've built. Yeah. And I think those are the people who far and away make the most money at this game, mm-hmm. right? So whatever it is you need to do to get that following, right? Yeah. With, within reason and, and being authentic is, is what you do. Mm-hmm. But you've got to have a craft and you've got to, or you've got to have a, a business is a craft, right? Right. You've got to find a way to become, parlay that into Kim Kardashian, right? Uh-huh. Or not even going that far, right? into the lip gloss business, right? Right. Uh, was Kylie lip gloss, is that what it's called? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Kylie, I don't Kylie, know what the business yeah, is called, but, but Kylie's a, a legit multi-billionaire now. Yeah, um, but anything. I mean, we off camera, we were talking about um, Chinatown Market. Yeah. But even just, just have it convert into something off of Instagram. There's, have a product. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, like if you're so influential and you have a unique point of view, mm-hmm. create and sell products or services, right? Yeah. W- w- whatever it's going to be. But to me, those are the people, it's very clear who are, who are making the most money and have the, the healthiest lifestyle, right? Yeah. Uh, around it. Being Instagram famous, just to be Instagram famous has mm-hmm. a big cap on it. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being Instagram famous because you started a, a clothing line or because mm-hmm. like Virgil, great example, right? Right. Kanye's creative director. Mm-hmm. That's when he first started getting noticed really for in, in the apparel space. Yep. And then off white, mm-hmm. and, and he's Nike, clearly yeah. Instagram. Yeah, that Nike's off whites, right? Yeah. But the he's Instagram famous because of his art and his craft. And again, because content is a commodity, mm-hmm. a lot of people can get really good at creating content now, yeah. right? But that, because it's a commodity, a lot of people can do it, and there's not as much value in it for any one mm-hmm. individual. Mm-hmm. But if you can parlay that ability, that craft, into something more than that, yeah. I think that's when you become a really, really valuable um, creative in this world. Right. So don't become Instagram famous for doing Instagram. <laughs> do it. Please do it. Right. Like, like you get a lot of perks. You you can make some decent money on it from you know posting photos or whatever. Yeah. But like, do it and then parlay it into right. a massive business or build a massive business and use that to become Instagram famous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. You get a lot of perks. You get the free hotel room. The free. Uh, Coffee scrubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. But, but a, a lot of perks is not as good as tens of millions of dollars or, <laughs> or billions of dollars in, in Kylie's case. Right. 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 Uh, or, or Rihanna with Fenty. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, Ronnie with Kith. Right. Yeah. Like, do, you, do you think young, like young people are a bit hoodwinked 
into the lifestyle of what becoming successful on Instagram is. Yeah, and it's super unhealthy, right? right? Like, yeah. First, just the idea that everybody is just like going through Instagram stories all day, which are like, they don't have a lot of substance to them. You're not learning much from them. You're just seeing what other people are doing. You're just comparing yourself to how rich someone is or how rich someone wants to make themselves appear. Mm -hmm. Like Instagram is an awesome platform, but it's such a a commerce material platform at this point, right? Like I don't think anybody posts anymore on there without being like, how will people perceive this post of me? Will it be in line with how I want to be seen? Um, and then you have like audiences, right? You've got like, here's how my coworkers will think of it. Here's how my family will think mm-hmm. of it. Here's how my friends, like, is this, is this right? Yeah. right? And yeah. um, on one hand, it's cool because everyone can be a brand and everyone can build a business through that. But on the other hand, again, there's not a lot of substance mm-hmm. to that. So, so you, you agree that it's quite unhealthy. Yeah, super unhealthy. Yeah. And I, I, I yes. And again, take it with a grain of salt because I built the whole business doing this. <laughs> yeah, but, but who would know better than you because you were on the other side of it? Yeah, you, look, you got to, anything, any extremism is not good in anything in any form, mm-hmm. no yeah. matter what, yeah. right? Uh, so you just got to take it all with a grain of salt. Right, it's just hard. It's very addictive. Yeah, like read a book. I read a lot of books. It's, Go it's take a, lot a hike. Better, Go on a hike. Right? Huh? <laughs> Go like, on a hike. Work out, <laughs> yeah. read, right. spend time with friends, like go to a concert. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big trend toward all of that happening now. People are realizing like the ROI and spending too much time on Instagram is pretty low. Yeah. Um, and while it's very helpful for work purposes or keeping in touch with friends, um, it's not really doing a lot for for anybody's life. Right. Yeah. So okay. again, all, all like all in moderation. Good. Great I feel gems, like the man. old dad on this podcast. You now. are an old these, dad now. Dude, I, I'm a millennial, <laughs> and like I just I was talking to someone today, and I was like, millennials are washed. Like we are not young and cool, or, or anywhere close to it. And like anyone in their twenties is going to be like, yeah, yeah, these guys fucking suck. Like, wait, what's the what's the? I, I want to know your prediction. If you're twelve or yeah. fourteen right now, right? What's it going to be like for you when you turn twenty? actually talk about this a lot because I okay. have a, a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And I think they're going to be like super whatever about smartphones and whatever the technologies are. They're just because like they grew up with it mm-hmm. and they're going to just be like, it's like an okay thing. It's cool. Like I'll use it when I need it. Kind of like when you grow up in parts of the world where like drinking is legal, right? Yeah. Like when you turn 18 or 21, you're not like, oh, I'm going to go get shit-faced, right? You're <laughs> like, yeah, like... I've been having a glass of wine with dinner since I was 13. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Like, whatever. Or like uh, kids from Amsterdam. They're yeah. just like, yeah, smoke weed, whatever. <laughs> I don't know any kids. Like, what are kids who are born in Amsterdam like? No, like, smoking weed is not like, ooh. Yeah. Well, that's going to happen too as weed. Yeah, company, yeah. Oh, we, we invested in a company called Ease, uh, marijuana delivery service uh, based in uh, California that is one of the most popular ways of getting THC or CBD delivered to you within like minutes. It's kind of like Uber for weed. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah, you you order it and then um, a, a driver comes to you within literally in like five or ten minutes. Wow. Yeah. So there's just drivers going around with CBD and THC in their car? Yeah, they have a deep menu of stuff that you can get on the app. Uh-huh. And and yeah, it just comes to you. Oh, nice. Okay. No, uh, but yeah, going back to the, uh, the teen now, they're just going to be so indifferent. So how are they going to get inspired or stimulated? Hopefully by like doing things and reading things (laughs) and experiencing things and creating things. Like again, like there's no better experience in the world than creating something, whether that's a business or a a product or apparel or sneakers or design Mm -hmm. or 
whatever it is that inspires you, right? Like creating something is how you learn. It's how you you put something out into the world that other people can experience and that can last forever. Yeah. And, and I hope that, that that's what our kids continue to be inspired by. It seems like it's still happening around the world. I just think Instagram can trick you into thinking that Instagram is the art. Yes. And to right. come full circle from the beginning of this conversation, the product is the content. The product is the art. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope that's what people who are young and coming up today will start to realize as they see through this sort of like hustle culture mentality Yeah, is that that's not the business. Word. All right, man. That was a great way to end it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me, man. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode with the amazing entrepreneur, Jason Stein. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, leave a comment and tell us what you think of the show. Tell a friend about the show. Everything helps. Help us spread the word. We also occasionally will answer listener questions. So if you have a question, shoot it over via Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Novetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpra and Christina Hong. This episode was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location at the Anchor headquarters in New York City. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.